I'm not a people person. Are they not people people? Maybe they, they're just not social. Like, it's like what you said, you know, like, are they having a bad day or are they racist? Exactly, yeah. This week on Are They Racist or Are They Having a Bad Day? My name's Emma and you're listening to the Socially Awkward Podcast. Today on the Socially Awkward Podcast, we have Ethan, who is calling in all the way from the UK. And funnily enough, we were supposed to have Ethan on as like our second guest ever to talk about his national service experience. Only that didn't happen for some reason that none of us can seem to remember. And now he's all the way in university. And Ethan, would you like to tell us about what you were doing in university? A little bit about yourself, you know? I'm uh, currently studying law in King's College, London, uh, the UK. The UK is uh, in England. No, England is in the UK. And um, I'm just, uh, I'm a second year student right now. So I've got one more year before I graduate. Uh, law is a three-year program in the UK. And um, I'm really glad to be on here. Aww. Thank you for having me. Thank you. You know, you're going to be one of our final guests on the show. For the people who don't know, we are going to be wrapping up this project by the end of the year just because I think everybody kind of wants to move on with their lives a little bit. Um, and we're all we're all starting to... Part of the reason why we've been talking so much about college, university, living alone is because that's kind of just the phase of life a lot of the staff are moving into. Yeah. So, Ethan, what led you up to deciding that law was what you wanted to do? So I've always been interested in law. I did like some, um, I did like a short internship at a law firm when I was in Singapore for a few weeks. But uh, even before that, I was uh, I was doing something called Model United Nations, which is a very presumptuous. You dress up in fancy suits and you pretend to know a lot more than you actually do. But uh, what was always interesting about that was the legal aspect. And so uh, I've always been mildly interested in it. And so when I applied to university, there were only, there were three subjects that I was interested in pursuing. First was statistics. Uh, I know I'm insane. Uh, the second was law. And the third one was history. So history was like my number one. In an ideal world, history would be the one I'd always go with. But uh, university is expensive, especially in the UK. And so it's, uh, I mean, uh, I was never told I couldn't study history in UK, but there was always a lying thing where, look, if you want to go to the UK and study, maybe do something that could probably help you find a job quicker. So, um, and I really like law, so I applied, and and, it, and I also would have, and I also knew that if I wanted to go into, uh, if I wanted to study something in university, it'd probably be law, because history you can sort of read on your own, find out, but it's a lot harder to do that with law, I feel. So, um, I'm very glad I chose law. Statistics, I was always interested in, but it was just so far removed from everything else I'd studied before because I did a lot more uh, social sciences and subjects. And so it just, it felt a bit, it, I felt that it would have been a bit harder for me to apply to a statistics department if uh, I only had like one or two um, subjects in math and science. So that's why I went with law. And then fortunately, I got in, uh, I didn't manage to get into any law university in Singapore. I applied to NUS and for one in Orchard, which is SMU. Um, yeah, I didn't get into either. And uh, so that sort of forced my hand to go to the UK. Mm. Yeah. 
Was there, what in Model UN did you enjoy that made you, like you said it was law, but what aspect of law in Model UN did you want to explore more? I've never actually, um, I think it was just the jet, so during that period, it was just the general legal principles and ideas. But what was really interesting and uh, something that I uh, always found fascinating was the UN Convention on the Law of the Sea. And it is really, it's, it's basically a charter saying what you can and can't do in um, uh, when you're in the high seas and like um, basically just in, in general governing, uh, rules governing the sea. And it's, um, it's always just been, I've always just been really interested in it. And I've always loved marine biology. And so I guess that was a sort of like combination. Oh, okay, law and the sea. And so I can combine that by doing um, um, nautical law. So that was one thing that I was interested in. The other thing I was interested in was uh, criminal law. Um, so during the internship, I actually worked on um, one or two criminal law cases in Singapore. And so that was a very interesting perspective I got. Because, you know, you watch all these legal dramas and documentary, uh, legal dramas and shows, but they're all very dramatic. And it's not, um, it's very different from the actual proceedings. And uh, it was really interesting to learn more about. So that's how, uh, and so that was very interesting to learn about. So I guess my main focuses before I started actually going to law school was uh, in maritime law and criminal law. Since coming to law school, I feel like my focus, I'm definitely a lot more interested in maritime law than I am in criminal law right now. But that's not to say I'm not interested in criminal law anymore. It's just, I found I found so many more interesting things with maritime law that I didn't realize happened. Yeah. Um, law is a three-year program, right? And you're in your second year? Do you yes. have any plans for after you're done with school? Like, do you have to take the bar over there or? Yeah, so it depends on where you want to work, right? So um, I'm I'm hoping to be able to find work in the UK. And so I'm, I don't, I hate studying. So one thing about me is I absolutely hate studying. And then you chose to study law, which notoriously requires a lot of studying and memorization. Exactly. Yeah, I know. Um, not my <laughs> finest hour. But no, I, I really, uh, one thing you can do is go into a master's. So a lot of people do that. So um, you go into a master's, so it's a four, so it becomes four years but any um i don't want to study anymore so i'm definitely trying to avoid doing masters at all costs so the next step is to do um i forgot what they call it because they've recently revamped it but it's sort of like a it's similar to the bar you do that uh, then you can become you can practice law and so what's interesting in the in the uk is that you've got both um barristers and solicitors so a barrister is someone who goes to court and argues whereas the solicitor is the one who works in the office and works in the office. So the barrister job sounds a lot more interesting, but job security wise, actually, and solicitors are generally, it's a lot more secure because when you're a barrister, you're basically freelance almost. And so you're basically working for yourself. And uh, although I would love to do like become a barrister, security wise, it just feels a bit easier for me if I just become a solicitor. So that's what I'm leaning to more. You don't have that in Singapore, actually. Uh, I guess because they're just not enough lawyers to have a division. So a solicitor goes into court and everything. Interesting. So you're planning on staying in the UK then? If I can get a job. That's the big if. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I mean, everyone's worried about getting jobs, especially now because you've got like new government, new prime minister, the second new prime minister in like a month. Economy doesn't look too good. So yeah, especially for foreign students, one of the fears is um, you're always afraid that the, the government, or I mean, firms are going to prioritize 
UK citizens over foreigners, which is mm. fair enough. But um, especially when the economy isn't doing too well, because it's hard to justify hiring foreigner when your own people don't have jobs, right? So uh, mm. that's one thing that's always um, on my mind. But um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Mm. Did the housing, is the housing crisis affecting you? Oh, yeah. It, no, it's always continuing. Yeah. So housing in UK is very expensive and excluding, like, excluding countries like New York, excluding places like New York, Singapore and Hong Kong, uh, prices in not just London. I mean, London's especially bad, but all of UK is terrible. People are paying, like, a reasonable rate is about, for one room, uh, when you share a flat, it's about so um, normally what people do after they graduate, after the first year, they move into like their own accommodation they share with friends. And so in London, the average rate, a de- good rate is about 200 to 250 pounds a week per person for a shared flat. So you'll be paying, so normally you share with like two to three other people, two about, uh, with like normally two other people. So that's about, so for a three room flat, 200, it's about 600 to 800 a week. And uh, which is eight hundred pounds a week. You convert that to SGD. That's about thousand, thousand five hundred, thousand four hundred uh, dollars per week. Yeah, it's very rough, and it's not like great accommodation. You know, it's very basic. So yeah, prices very terrible. And like, are you allowed to find work while you're a student, or you are allowed to find work, but you're only allowed to work specific amount of hours for um, people on a student visa. So yes, uh, I, I don't know the exact number of hours, but it's like part-time work. Mm. Are you currently working or no? I'm currently not working, but um, probably in the summer I'll look for something. Probably an internship, that kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. How does... Okay, so I have some friends who recently went over to the UK to study. Are you on like school accommodations or did you find your own place? So for every university is different, of course, but for Kings, basically... You're sort of, you're guaranteed accommodation for the first year. So that means that they'll find a place for you to stay. Problem is sometimes that place that you stay could be terrible. Uh, You could be living like an hour away from school, 45 minutes away from school. First year, I think I was offered some accommodation, but the prices weren't great. So I stayed on my own. But then this year I've moved out and I'm staying with, um, I'm staying with a friend uh, who's already been living in the UK for a while. So um, he offered me the place that I'm staying in right now. And uh, I'm very happy with the place. Yeah, so it's great. Do you feel living in the UK has made you more aware of like global issues? Because I feel like over here in Singapore, you know, we hear about things such as um, housing crisis in the UK and also worker strikes, but we feel very disconnected because for the most part, everything here runs pretty smooth. So how did your perception of like living overseas change after you actually went? So there are some things that are very different. Like, so London, I'm living in London, which is a relatively large city. It's quite similar to living in, like, for example, Singapore. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got, like, your big Orchard Road area, uh, Oxford and uh, Bond, uh, Bond Street, Piccadilly Circus. And then you've got, like, more suburban uh, areas with, like, your HDBs. In Singapore, you've got, like, government housing in London. So it's um, it wasn't that much of a culture shock because... London is very, very multicultural. So it's not like a culture shock. Most people have at least heard of Singapore. You're not going to, you, it's, it's happened before, but it's very rare to find someone's like, oh, you're from Singapore. Is that, is, which part of China is that? Oh, I, I, I've been to China as well. It's great. You don't get that very often. One of the things that was 
interesting was, um, yeah, for example, the strikes. They strike over many, many things in the UK, and strikes in Singapore are basically unheard of. Just to put into perspective, for we had our university professors had strikes, and out of about 22, 23 weeks of lessons, about four of those weeks, professors were striking. Not every professor strikes, but a good sense. number of professors strike. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a, uh, and then, I mean, it disrupts the schedule. So even if, so, and, and that's the thing, right? If one professor is striking, other professors aren't striking. Uh, if your professor is striking and the tutorials you go to are, are canceled because of strikes, you don't learn about that. And so it's just, it becomes very disruptive as to what's important, what do you need to know for the exam, that kind of thing. And it's, it can be disruptive, yeah. The other one that's constantly going on strikes is uh, public transport. The London Underground System and the train rail system. So they're operated by like two different entities, corporations. So the London Underground will go on strike for, for example, these specific days. And then the overground will go on strike on these specific days. So you've got basically double the number of strikes. I mean, everything gets disrupted. Everything's more crowded. People are trying to find alternate uh, routes to London. And so you've got, um, yeah, I think uh, there was one period where there were strikes like two times a week. And it was, it got pretty bad. Yeah. I mean, it's still pretty bad, but yeah. How do you cope with um, when your public transport goes on strike? Because here in Singapore, at least, if your MRT is broken down, things get a little bit nuts. If you're like, if your tram or whatever it is, is for whatever reason not working, it's not like the United States where most people would have a car. And if I'm not wrong, London is not really a driving city, right? I've never been. It's really not a driving city. So how do you cope when your public transport system is not working? Like, what are the alternatives that you see? Uh, That's a really good question. So actually... I would say that strikes are arguably the least disruptive because they'll give you advance. They'll give you advance notice of, okay, Uh... the strike's going to happen from here to here to here. And then, so you can sort of plan roughly. And generally, there'll be uh, alternate methods of transportation. And then um, I, yes, and so people are also generally relatively understanding. So for example, they'll say, okay, because of the strikes, um, I'm going to hold the class on a certain on another day or we know that they're strikes so we understand that you're going to have difficulty getting to class but one thing that's a bit harder to prepare for is honestly train delays because the london underground is really really old and so you've got it's like more than 150 years old and so um some of the infrastructure isn't very good and so you get breakdowns quite often and so um that's the issue because uh, you plan to go somewhere suddenly and also the other thing is that there's no reception in the underground oh so it's not like you can like yeah so if you're stuck in like you're stuck in the underground like you know in the mrt you're stuck there yeah you can just take right. someone oh i'm going to be late there's a breakdown yeah. train breakdown you can't do that in uh you can't do that in in london and so sometimes if it's stalled there's no you don't know what's happening you can be in there um for a while there was one time i had uh to play i had to go for a football game and i was late about an hour because the trains were disrupted and we just had no knowledge uh, did we need to redirect our route uh, to the place, or did we just hope that um, the trains start running again? And so that's the that's the that's the unpredictability is scary. Yeah. Speaking of football, you're like a massive football fan, aren't you? I like football a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's been great. Like because uh, normally in Singapore, the football games are uh, Champions League games are three a.m., four a.m. You watch it. It's like in the middle of the day for you. 
you, you, yeah, exactly. Here it's like, oh, okay, it's a 8 p.m. game. It's great. It's really easy to watch football and uh, it's a lot more accessible and um, people play a lot more football here as well. So it's mm-hmm. never, you're, you're never unable to play football here, which is great. Yeah. Why do you think the culture surrounding sports such as like football or rugby is so different in the UK as opposed to in Singapore? I would say that people have a lot more free time in the UK than in Singapore in general. I guess, yeah, like, um, I mean, one thing that I found is it's not as intense as Singapore because I know law is an intense course and we were all told, okay, law is going to be intense in the UK. But when I started, it's like, huh, this feels like just regular Singapore amount of studying. You study on the weekends, you study, you study till like 9 p.m., 10 p.m. at night. It's not that bad. And uh, so I think in the UK, you just have a lot more free time to pursue these sports. Yeah, so it's a lot easier to play football in mm. the UK. Yeah, play sports in general and pursue your interests in general. Mm. So what are some of the interests that you've managed to pursue? So, I mean, football is one. So I play for the university team. Um I haven't played this much, uh, that much this uh, this year because busy with studies. But uh, I do play. Um, um, I do play for the team. Um, the other thing that I am a part of is actually the Pokemon Society, and so um, I didn't realize. Yeah, so it's, it's I love it because um, you've got other people who um, play Pokemon, and uh, there have been like you can part- uh, partake in like Pokemon tournaments among. Uh, universities around the UK and I think it's incredible uh we there was a recent tournament that I uh, competed in uh, as part of the university team and uh, that went pretty well for us we actually won the um won the tournament so that was uh, that was a lot of fun what goes and, on uh, in a pokemon tournament so it depends on what tournament it is but uh, this one it's a draft tournament so basically um how much um basically pokemon you've got a lot of different pokemon so um, at the start of a tournament, there's like all these Pokemon and you have a certain number of points. So each Pokemon, depending on how good it is, it's valued at a certain number of points. Mm. So for example, a really good Pokemon is maybe 10 points, another one's like five points. And so you basically, um, you've got, you start off with maybe like a hundred points. And so you have to draft a team of, a, uh, of, a, of your Pokemon. And so, um, each of us does that. And then, um, throughout every week, you sort of play one game against your opponent and then it's like, uh, because it was a universe, uh, you were playing for your university, um, we had teams. So even if you lose one week, you weren't technically knocked out as long as you're, the rest of your team won. Mm. So uh, that was a lot of fun, yeah. Ooh. It sounds a little bit like fantasy football. It's sort of like that, yeah. It's sort of like fantasy football. But uh, yeah, you just play a more active role in whether you win or lose, yeah. How did you get into that? <laughs> So I've loved Pokemon since I was a kid, and um, I used to, I mean, <laughs> I used to stay up, uh, I mean, hide under the covers playing Pokemon, um, all the stuff, I used to collect the cards, so I've always been a huge Pokemon fan, and so, but then I, I, it, it felt weird, because it's sort of like, um, when we were kids, everyone played Pokemon, and suddenly it wasn't cool to play Pokemon anymore, uh-huh. and then nobody admitted they played Pokemon, a lot of people still did, but nobody just admitted it, because it's uh-huh. like, oh, Pokemon, what's that, it's a kid's game. And then suddenly you're in university and everyone here is like, oh yeah, I love Pokemon. I played all the time. And it's just mm. really interesting how that happens. Yeah. Do you feel like, okay, one thing I noticed is um, kids, when they're young, they avoid doing things that they think are 
uncool. But as you grow older, I think you begin to care less about what you think, what people think is like cool or uncool. And so you just do whatever you want, right? Like, um, yeah, you just do whatever you want. And maybe you're not always proud of it, but you're not necessarily embarrassed by it. Like, you might find it a little bit funny. <laughs> it's like, okay, for example, now, like, I have a lot of my friends my age who are into watching kids' cartoons. So, um, my personal favorite, I am, I love My Little Pony. The, like, the new reboot of My Little Pony from the last 10 years. That's my thing. I love it. I've got friends who are into, what's that? Miraculous Ladybug? Mm, yeah. Um, Tangled Adventure, which I do want to watch. Uh, yeah, just that kind of thing. And I love that people are not embarrassed about it. <laughs> yeah, it feels like there's this, yeah, we're caring less about what other people mm. think of our hobbies and all that stuff, right? Yeah. Which is a good thing, I feel. I think it's like just part of growing up, you know, letting go of whatever other people's conceptions might be. Do you feel like when you were growing up, you were like a self-conscious person? Not a self-conscious. I mean, I, I think I was definitely self-conscious, but I, okay, I was self-conscious, but at the same time, I just couldn't be bothered to care. You know what I mean? Mm. So you were like aware, but it didn't really affect you. I, I was too lazy to like change. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I could have changed it, yeah, but I can't be bothered. Do you, How do you feel like going to university forced you to grow up, forced you to mature? Do you feel like you were forced to mature by going to university in a country by yourself? I think the one thing that sort of forced me to mature isn't, is like, I think everything was relatively easy for me, except for sort of like, okay, realize, like, I think it's the you're finally at a point where you have to take responsibility for your own things. Like, I think that's the, like, when you're living with, like, your parents or whatever, there's, like, sort of, like, a safety mechanism to fall back upon, right? And so um, you could always rely on that. And I think going overseas, especially in a country that you don't really know, you don't have that anymore. Like, yes, your parent, my parents are always there if I need help or whatever, but you need to take, like, if, you need to, it's, you're at a point where you sort of have to realize, okay, I can't, like, if I, if I don't clean up my room, there's nobody who's going to tell me to clean up my room mm. and that kind of thing. So it's, sometimes it's great. Like if I have dishes in the sink, I can leave the dishes in the sink and there's no issue, but then like, nobody's going to come. But three days say, oh, later, you know, it's not so fun. Exactly. You know what I mean? So it's 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 one of those things where it's there's good and bad. It's a double-edged sword. Yeah. And then the other thing is also like there's no um um yeah, you have to study on your like you have to find the will to study on your own. Mm -hmm. There's nobody who really pushes you saying, Oh, you've got to study. Like even in Singapore, like you sort of like you sort of had that pressure to study because if you were in your room or if you were just in your room doing random stuff, not studying, your parents are going to be like, why aren't you studying? You know what I mean? Even if they don't take an act, even if they don't take an active interest in making sure you're studying, they'll be like, oh, why are you so free all the time? But here, nobody has that. So it's, you've got to really just have a motivation to study on your own. And my motivation comes from not wanting to fail everything. Oh, fair. Is your course pass fail or is it graded? 
No, it's so last year it was pass fail, but this year it was it's going to be graded. So uh, we'll see how, how that goes. How did yeah. that change your studying style? So I'm studying a lot harder now. <laughs> I was studying a lot harder, then I felt sick, and so now I'm behind, and so the motivation to study is lost a bit. But I, it's getting back. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. And then uh, fortunately, what they do is they give you um, a reading week. So basically, it's sort of like a, a, a one week break where you're able to catch up with all the reading mm. you haven't finished. So I'm using that to my full, uh, I'm going to have to use that to the fullest to actually study. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have Do you have like friends in your course who are going through the same thing? Um. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think last year, I, I think also it's gotten more difficult this year. And so um, certain things that you could get away with, like just having a cursory knowledge of, you can't do that anymore because it's uh, a lot more in-depth. And so I think some of us, I mean, I've got a few friends who are struggling because uh, last year they didn't need to study that much. and uh, But this year now, in order to ke- keep up, and uh, it's um, you've definitely got to study. And I guess also it's the pressure because now that everything counts, you're definitely a lot more motivated to study. Because last year, there were points where you're like, okay, does it really matter? It's not graded, it's fine. And then you sort mm-hmm. of like, you do something else, for example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But now there's this sort of like, there's this voice at the back of your head saying, hang on, it's graded. You've got to study harder now. What would you say are the main differences between the culture of working in Singapore versus the UK? For studying, um, there's a lot more like, so in, in the okay, so in the UK, the principle is more like you study hard in the day, then you go out and you have fun at night or do whatever you want to do at night. Mm. In Singapore, it's more like you study hard in the day and then you study even harder at night, right? So I think that's the that's the main difference. They are saying, okay, you've got to study. Like, there's time to like enjoy yourself in the UK. Mm. Uh, I think that's one of the big differences. Not mm. a lot of time, but there's. I mean, especially for law, I'm sure for the other subjects, there's a lot more time. So, like, as homeschoolers, right, we still get, like, the perception that you don't know how to socialize. Do you feel that making friends came a lot easier after you started going to university? Because I realized that when people ask me how I make friends as a homeschooler who isn't really participating in, like, group activities that most homeschoolers would, like, co-ops or, like, sports groups or whatever, I, like, have to go and put myself out there. And that is, like, very similar to how an adult makes friends. They have to, like, decide they want to do something and then go and do it. How has, like, making friends changed for you since going to school? I think it's, yeah, I mean, I I know exactly what you mean. Like, you always get people asking, oh, so how do you make friends? And that's one question that I've always struggled with because it's, like, I mean, it's just sort of make friends by going to activities, like what you said, right? And uh, yeah, so I, I I think I've always told people like, okay, the one difference is you actually, ha- it, like making friends isn't an issue with being a homeschooler if you want to put in the effort to try and make friends mm. by like going out to activities and all that mm. stuff. Whether you can be bothered or not, it's a different story. Sometimes I just can't be bothered. Yeah, so going to university, it wasn't an issue making friends. I mean, you make a few friends and then you meet their friends. And then you sort of have, a, I, I mean, like, yeah, that's the thing in university. What I feel is you meet a lot of people in the first few weeks and then you sort of have a rough, and then you get to know them better. And then you sort of have a rough idea. Oh, these are the cool people I want to hang out with. And then you meet them and then they're like, oh, let me introduce you to a few more cool people that I'm friends with. And then you're like, oh, um, these are some more cool people. And mm. that's sort of how I, that's how I got my friends. And actually, funnily enough, most people who ask me about like, oh, um, who asks me questions like this are actually Singaporeans themselves. 
because like nobody like I, nobody like nobody know nobody outside of Singapore knows any schools from Singapore. So they're not gonna ask you, oh, where did you study? So it's mm. very um, people, yeah, it's, it's very much Singapore. Other Singaporeans, oh, where did you study? And then I tell them, oh, I'm homeschooled. And then I get the same questions. That, I mean, then you get the same questions that you get. Singapore, how do you make friends? That kind of thing must be hard. Um, mm. Yeah. One thing that I do get a lot, though, um, I mean, not a lot, but from other people outside of um, Singapore who ask me where I studied or what I studied, questions like, um, are you super religious? And um, so I think that's one of the uh, stereotypes that um, homeschoolers have for being very religious. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm not a very religious person. Yes. And then I, I noticed, like, um, she had some very liberal views. And then I noticed, like, she dialed it down a little bit when she was talking to me, which was like, no, you don't need to do that. But, yeah, so uh, that was one thing I've noticed. Like, foreigners seem to have this belief that uh, homeschoolers are very religious, whereas the Singaporeans who ask are more interested in where I study and how I make friends. Mm. That's interesting. I think, like, in Singapore, at least, because a lot of your identity and I mean like understandably so it's like where did you go to school like what area do you live in do you live in a landed property or like government housing or like private whatever it is and like one of my friends she didn't she didn't tell people about where she lived until like her final year of junior college because she knew that once they knew their perception of her would change and um, she just wanted to avoid that. She wanted people to know her for who she was and not necessarily the place she lived. And I feel like in Singapore, it's a huge deal because people want to know what to think of you like right off the bat. They want to have a sort of like label and stereotype to assign you to. So when you encounter something that's like foreign, like homeschooling, they're just like, well, now I don't know what to do with you. <laughs> and... It either it does two things. It either kills off all interest because they don't see you as a helpful person to know, or it makes them curious. And I don't know. It's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> because you I mean, like, I'd rather deal with answering the same questions over and over again than have somebody be like, Well, I'm not interested in you because I don't think I can relate to you anymore which is not necessarily true because one you haven't tried to really get to know me you haven't given me the opportunity to get to know you I'm sure if we did we'd find something in common you know something to talk about but it's true about the homeschoolers and religion thing like not everybody homeschools for religious reasons um we've had a lot of athletes on the podcast um a lot of like third culture kids and yeah there's really you don't have to be religious to homeschool guys there are plenty of yeah there are plenty of non-religious people who study who do homeschooling as well that's just what i wanted to say (laughs) did her perception of you change after she started speaking to you yeah then it was fine after a while it's funny about the stereotypes thing because i was meeting with a group of friends earlier today and we were talking about our first impressions of each other and a lot of the first impressions were tied to like physical attributes. So one of them was like really tall. And I was like, oh, okay, well, like this guy's really tall. He's just some dude who's really tall. And this other girl's with, she's like really short. And I was like, oh, she's like either incredibly young or incredibly old. No in between. Turns out she was my age. And um, one of the people, he was like, oh yeah, when I, like, I definitely had a first impression of you because I didn't have a, f- 
super strong first impression of everybody because sometimes people are just like okay you exist <laughs> yeah and he was like when i heard you talk i instantly assumed oh she's one of those international student types if you're from singapore that's not necessarily a positive thing <laughs> to be tied to because international students here okay not international students international school students this is an important clarification international school students have a little bit of a reputation for like going out and drinking and not really trying too hard at school generally causing a ruckus and also being rich like that is the international school stereotype here in Singapore but basically you're in like your little rich person bubble and that's the stereotype so yeah he thought I was another whitewashed person and I am kind of whitewashed but it like over time as he got to know me he's like okay she's not just like some she's not just one of those people she didn't go to school at all <laughs> she's never even stepped foot in an international school the way I thought she would have <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's funny how people have these stereotypes and how, like, their perceptions of you change over time. I think the sad part is, like, a lot of people will not try to get to know you and they will just stay fixed in that mindset of what they think you are. Yeah. Did you did you face, like, any stereotypes for being, like, Asian in London? Some of, A lot of my friends coming from Singapore, at least, they were scared of, like, racism in whatever country it is they go to. Here, it's interesting because you get the experience as a Chinese person of being both a majority race and a minority race. So you reap the benefits of being a racial majority while you're in Singapore, but you understand or you you hopefully learn to understand the experience of being a minority and what like everybody else goes through when you're out of the country. I don't know. So what's it like being a racial minority, having grown up in a place where you were a racial majority? I've never really had any issues in the UK, but I mean, it's London. It's very diverse. So I think that helps things. Someone um, called us when my mom came to visit one time, um, someone uh, used a racial slur on her as she was just walking by, which was really weird. And uh, yeah, so that was really bizarre. And like we were walking together and they only addressed it to my mom. So that was a really weird thing that happened once. But uh, apart Why from that- Why just your mom? I don't know. But yeah, it was just, I just heard the guy mutter under the breath, like, yes, the bad word that you describe Asian, uh, Chinese looking people that also start to see. So, yeah, the thing about racism and racial prejudice is it's not like you're either racist or you're not racist, right? There's like a long spectrum. It's like a spectrum, yeah. Exactly. And so sometimes, yeah, you might get people who are like, what you get a lot is um, racially ignorant people. So mm, they're not okay. racist, they've got no malice, but they're just ignorant about stuff. Mm. Like, I wouldn't call the person who asked me, are you Korean, racist. I would just say they're racially ignorant. Mm. Because they don't have any malice in it, they just don't know better don't know any better exactly yeah so you've got like that's even then that's not very often but sometimes you just have some like you said you hear things in passing that you mm. just shrug off as okay that person's just like a bit oh my god i think he's ignorant. korean <laughs> yeah things like that yeah um or um oh yeah uh 
you like this? It's kimchi or something like that, you know? Stuff like that, which is like, it's not like, I, there's no malice in it, but it's just, okay, it's a bit ignorant. That's it, yeah. It's like, it's not mean-spirited. Yeah, so sometimes you can, you see people, people like, are just like really, like, just people avoid eye contact. If you're just really grumpy, uh, they, they just gesture, they don't really talk. That, that one, you're like, are they just not people persons or I'm not a people person? Are they not people people? Maybe they, they're just not social. Like, it's like what you said, you know, like, are they having a bad day or are they racist? Exactly. Yeah. So, uh... This week on Are They Racist or Are They Having a Bad Day? Sometimes it can be both. Yeah. <laughs> they're having a bad day, but they're also racist. So it's yeah, especially I mean, bad for you. They saw an Asian person on the street. I think one thing I realized, at least, like, in the media I consume, is, like, casual racism. Not so much malicious racism, but it's Asian people making fun of the stereotypes that they are called in school. And, like, this is, like, all America-centric creators, or, like, America's-centric creators. And I realized, like, wow, the fact that they can make these jokes means that They've probably experienced something to inspire this. And I think that just made me really sad because like, while it would be kind of like out of pocket for me to experience as a Chinese person in Singapore, it just made me sad because some people would have never known that saying stuff like that is like not okay. And they just live with it for the rest of their lives. I don't know how to describe it, but like sometimes like, like me and my friends, we'll just talk about like, we'll, we'll joke among ourselves. We'll be like, so for, like, for example, one guy is like a white guy. Few of us are like um, Chinese, uh, Singaporean, Asians, kind of thing. So like, going. <laughs> sometimes like, uh, like no, like sometimes like um, he's doing something, and then I'll I'll say no, you do it this way, and then it works. And I'll say, see, this is the Asian ingenuity that you guys <laughs> lack, that kind of thing, you know. Which is like, it's not, it's it, like we we acknowledge the differences in race, but not in a racist way, you know. Yeah, it's just mm. like that kind of thing, yeah, or like. He'll be like, let me show you how the yeah. Like sometimes he'll be like, how do you do this? He says, let me Here, show you. This how is an alternative way. <laughs> let me show you how a white guy does it. Yeah, <laughs> it gets recolonized. <laughs> yeah, and then we'll be like, ah, so this is why colonization happened. Or oh something like that. man, I don't know. See, I I've always struggled with that partly because I don't know whether that's a way that we deal with racism like is it racist if we're making fun of our own races in a way that like everyone's okay with in that group or is it because we are highlighting the differences in the race is that racism and that's something that i've always wondered and so for me i don't find it racist but of course everyone has their own perspective on it Mm. i think yeah i think like like you said it does depend on who you're with and also if they are so aware of social boundaries yes yeah like, what makes something okay when? I think, like, a huge part of racism is, like, a fear and a lack of understanding of people who are different from you. So I feel like if people approach things with curiosity rather than apprehension, you can tell when somebody genuinely, like, doesn't know and genuinely wants to learn versus when they're just being malicious. And I feel like that's very important. I think part of it is also, like, power dynamics. Like, if you don't know the person, that person makes something like, oh, let me show you how a white guy does it. That's really wrong because you don't, Yee. right? Like some, yeah, but then if it's like your friend who you know, like I think if, as long as you know that, like I think part of it is knowing that they aren't actually racist. Knowing that they're not actually trying to like cause harm. Yes, yeah. Like it's like this, like for example, the guy I'm talking about, he's got like, he, uh, went to his birthday party and literally 
every person there was Asian except for like one of his school friends. <laughs> you know, so like, you know, like, like that I'm not racist. I've got like black friends. I'm not racist. I've got Asian friends. But this guy really just only has Asian friends. So it's sort of like, yeah, like you know that the guy isn't maliciously racist. I feel like after a certain point. I don't think you're, I don't, I wouldn't call your friend racist. I, there's a difference between being aware of your cultural differences versus discriminating against them. And I wouldn't classify as anything that he's done as like discriminatory behavior, joke or not. Because like my point, differences are not bad. Embrace your differences, learn about each other. And the way that different cultures work, like he, like different cultures cook rice differently, that kind of thing. It's just, mm. like he cooks rice and like when he cooks rice, because he's Colombian, apparently the culture there, the tradition for rice is actually the bottom gets burnt. Whereas in Asia, you don't want the bottom to get burnt yeah. because that's like rice wasted, right? So different ways of doing things like this, yeah. No, okay, but I will say, I when I was in the States, I did feel like the racial difference. And I feel like maybe it's a like political culture thing as well. Which part of the States were you from? Uh, you're from uh, Nebraska, right? Were you in Nebraska? Yes. I was in Nebraska, but ironically or not, I really only felt the difference when I was visiting Boston. I don't know, maybe people are just like more politically aware and also there's more people. I feel like <laughs> if I was speaking to another minority race, they'd always just be extremely friendly to me <laughs> mm, Yeah. as compared to like, I mean, it's not to say that every white cashier was like, mean to me but i feel like amongst minorities there was like definitely some sort of understanding which is like weird to say because like we were all different races but i don't know but when i was in my like small town in nebraska like i didn't really feel it as much i think partially because people didn't really make a big deal about it it was just interesting also my small town had like a very high immigrant population so maybe that had to do with it yeah actually just i remember now actually because um, when i went to the uk what i was afraid of actually was see i've been to the uk before um and back then there were no issues but the thing is that covid had happened oh. and so i was worried so i went to the uk september last year mm. 2020 yeah last year 2021 and um so yeah so uh, covid was still a big thing then right so there was this worry oh are people gonna be racist towards me because i'm asian blah 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 covid yeah so my mom's friend was like oh carry a singaporean flag around you so you they know that you're not <laughs> and then like some other person was like oh yeah wear a cap when you go out wear your mask so people uh -huh. don't um notice. yeah people don't uh yeah notice or it's harder to tell where you're from but like when i went there like i didn't feel any like racism nobody's nobody was saying oh screw you from you brought covid to our country kind of thing there weren't many of those around uh there were a lot of anti-covid protests though those were scary because you've got like thousands of people anti-vaccination all that stuff walking around and you see them and you were like i am quite sure those people have covid at least a few of those people have covid as they're marching down and so whenever i saw that i would cross the street uh, i would go to like the Fair other street enough. yeah yeah so that was uh, that was one scary thing back in the when i started university yeah now you don't get so many protests for covid but you get a lot of that's another thing that actually sorry off the tangent completely but that's another thing that was quite interesting about going to 
um, the UK. There are a lot more protests here. Because in Singapore, you're only allowed to protest in one place and you have to book the lawn and you have to book the lawn in advance. The government has to check if your protest is okay. Yes. You're not even allowed to like hold a smiley face up. (laughs) (laughs) No, like like I think in the UK you still have a to have a permit, but like you're allowed to protest. Like the permit's more to make sure that you don't hurt other people as you protest, Mm. I think. So like we uh protests, uh, the huge protests during the Ukraine at the start of the Ukraine Mm. uh conflict, uh Trafalgar Square is uh huge place of protest. Uh, recently, a lot of protests over the um, Iranian uh, Iranian issues uh, right now, Iranian issues, and um, then the co- anti-fax protests were huge. Um, back when I was there, uh, 20, 2018, there were a lot of um, pro- anti-Brexit protests, pro-EU protests. Um, oh. And then, uh, uh, so I studied near the Supreme Court, and actually there, there was a uh, there are protests almost uh, very often uh, protesting uh, Julian Assange's uh, uh, yeah Julian Assange, so that's uh, something interesting about yeah there there are a lot of protests going on. But I think it also does make me curious about like the reporting that goes on in the news. You know, like there is a news coverage bias, and this is not to say that the news is like fear mongering or anything because these issues are relevant and they're definitely some people's reality. But also, you just have to remember that although this happens, it's not everybody. It's like not all people are going to be like that. Even if this is what you read about, the average person is not going to come up on the street and harass you. At least in my experience, in my way, my limited experience from living overseas. Yeah, and if it does, it's rarer, I'd say. It should hopefully not be a daily occurrence, but I think it does depend on, like, unfortunately, who you are and where you're located. Yes, yeah, location matters a lot, because I know my cousin, actually, uh, she did, like, a six-month exchange program in Stirling in Scotland, and she was saying that um, back there, there was some racism. Like, school kids would shout, like, racial slurs, that kind of thing. So it wasn't, like, adult adults. It would be school kids who were... Um, saying these things these kids have to learn it from somewhere yeah which is like where do they learn it i don't yeah so that's a yeah so location definitely plays a part i feel as well yeah Mm. i'm glad that nothing like that has really happened too much to you i wonder if it's also because you're a guy that probably helps things yeah because um like see i'm thinking about it like not like some of my other friends have gotten it but even then it's very rare it's not often at all that something like that would happen, you know? Mm. And, um, like, even if they were, like, even for, like, my female friends, yeah, it's generally quite rare. Mm. Uh, usually, yeah, the harassment they get is probably more, like, gender-specific harassment more than racial harassment, honestly, mm. from what uh, yeah, which is, it's still a huge is- issue in the UK. So there have been a few scares in, so as uh, drink spiking is, uh, oh. back when I started, drink spiking was a huge thing. And then um, later on in the year, there was this huge uh, scare because people were getting needled, which is basically like people would have like needles and they would like jab people. No idea what's in the needles, which is the terrifying thing. Oh. Some of it, which is, yeah, it was just random people getting, and, the, and they wouldn't realize it. They just like, hang on, why do I have these marks on my skin? That kind of thing. Or why does it 
And so that was a big issue for a while. I don't know if it's gotten better or not, but um, yeah, for those in the clubbing scene, I know people were telling me that um, that was something they were afraid of and to watch out for that, yeah. That sounds so incredibly dangerous. Yeah, yeah, so uh, you always have to be careful there. Yeah, but generally the thing is, as long as you're not, like generally I'd say safety in the UK is as long as you're not drunk, like, as long as you have your, your in full capacity of your senses, like, yeah. you're not high or you're not drunk or anything, and you walk like you know where you're going, you're generally okay. As long as you don't walk through, like, I mean, like, certain areas you avoid, but generally you can walk back. As long as you know what you're doing, you walk and uh, with purpose, and you're not drunk or high or anything. Because I know friends who have gotten drunk, and then they're robbed and taken, a, yeah, so that's generally, Don't make yourself a target. Yeah, don't make yourself a target. Well, thank you so much for talking about your experiences. I don't know how much of this is actually going to stay in, but do you have any words of advice for any listeners who have hung on till the final word? <laughs> I think if you're studying overseas, don't study. I mean, for the first bit, I'd say don't study too hard because you also want to enjoy your time in that new country. So that's one of the things I feel is very important because some people I know, they just stay at home all the time studying, which is very admirable. But at the same time, you're missing out on so much that you would get if you went out and explored certain things or just experienced life in a different country. And I think that's one of the things I feel like, yeah, I feel that's something that's not taken advantage of enough by foreign students, um, especially Singaporeans, is you're in a new country and you don't, because there's so many Singaporeans in London. So, and so I'm just going from a London perspective. It's very easy to stay in the bubble of Singaporeans and just hang out with them. But I think what's important is hang out with other non-Singaporeans as well and just do things because you can speak to Singaporeans anytime in your life, whether you want to. But it's not as often that you're going to have a chance to like meet other people from like other countries, experience things and do things um, in London that you can't do in Singapore. Like, for example, um, buy chewing gum, uh, admire the wonderful architecture, just do things that are unique to that country. Yeah. Solid advice. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you. And we will see you next time. Thank you for having me. It was great. And that's a wrap on today's episode of the Socially Awkward Podcast. We release new episodes on the first Saturday of each month on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. If you like today's episode, subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Instagram at the.sociallyawkwardpodcast. See you next time.